Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling, and today we are having our very first live Paper Team episode. Nick and I went last week to WonderCon 2017 in Anaheim to host our very own panel on the relationship between TV writers' rooms and their fandoms. So, without further ado, we now go live to room 209 in the Anaheim Convention Center. All right, everybody. Hey, welcome to WandaCon. And by welcome to WandaCon, I really mean, as Nick pointed out, welcome to the last panel of WandaCon. You guys made it. Yes. This is all good. Uh, uh, what was I going to say now? Uh, I am Alex Friedman. And I'm Nick Watson. And together we are a paper team, which is both something the WGA frowns upon as well as an awesome TV running podcast. Uh, but today we are here to talk about fandom and TV writing, and to do so we have five amazing guests, and this is kind of like first day of school, so I'm going to ask each guest to please introduce themselves, the show they work on, and what capacity, and bonus question, what was the first TV fandom that you took a part in? Hmm. I guess, does that make me first? Okay. Um, my name is Taylor Brogan. I'm the showrunner's assistant on... Is this too close to my mouth? <laughs> you um, Shannara Chronicles on MTV and Into the Badlands on AMC. So I work on two shows at once, which is crazy. Um, and my first fandom was the Gilmore Girls fandom. <laughs> Not Star Wars, shockingly. Are you an Emily? Am I, am I an Emily? You just asked me that? <laughs> Maybe I am. That was rude. <laughs> Um, my name is Dia Mishra, and I work on The Tick for Amazon, the, the reboot, renewed one, the new one. Um, and I worked on Powerless. I'm a writer's PA, and my first TV fandom was Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never beat that. Um, my name is Tennessee Martin. I am the writer's assistant on the show Lucifer. Um, my first fandom, no one's going to know this one. Yeah, they will. South of Nowhere. Whoa! What's that say about me? <laughs> it's heavy <laughs> when you try to move it. Um, hi, I'm Jill Weinberger. I uh, work on Chicago Fire as a writer. I'm an executive story editor, which means I'm a writer third year in a row, basically. That's what that title is. Um, that, it sounds way more important. I write the same things I did my first year. Um, but I make more money. Yay. Uh, so uh, my first TV fandom, it's sort of adjacent, because I would say Wonder Woman. I was a very small child when I watched Wonder Woman, but I made one of my best friends in high school, because we found out we had both loved that show, and we both started reading and sharing comics together because of that. So I would say that's my first fandom experience. Uh, my name is Ray Utarniachet. I'm a writer on DC's Legends of Tomorrow, and I, I do have to say DC's Legends of Tomorrow because uh, that is the actual name. Um, instead of well, you know, I, my first real big fandom was probably Buffy, but I do want to talk Hell about yeah. my the first time I actually wrote a network and said I wanted them to save the show, and I'm totally dating myself. It was this really old sitcom with Jason Bateman called It's Your Move. 
And it was basically, it was basically about um, uh, uh, the son of a single mother and this guy who moves in across the hall and tries to date his mother. And Jason Bateman played the very, very smart and wily son who tried to sabotage the relationship over and over again. And it was like my favorite show. I'm totally dating myself, but I constantly wrote in letters to the network to not cancel it. <laughs> I mean, I was a kid and I was like watching the ratings numbers in the newspaper. Yes, they used to print it out in the newspaper. Um, and so I was always, I've always been a completely nutball for anything on television. That's amazing. All right, so uh, the first question we're going to dive right into, and anyone can jump in and answer. Um, how does your writer's room interact with fans? Is it over Twitter, Reddit, AMAs, emails? Uh, and also, who's responsible for doing that on your show? And are there certain kind of rules or restrictions or things encouraged in that in place? I really want someone to send me an email now. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we have a Twitter, at uh, the Tick Writers, follow it. Um, and... Uh, we're sort of, we're in production, we have the writer's room, and we haven't really announced our air date, though our pilot is on Amazon, so our pilot's on Amazon. I don't know when I'm supposed to plug my show and when I'm not. <laughs> but, um, Go for it. but, so basically we're sort of just goofing off on Twitter. We don't really have uh, a lot of things to give the fans yet, but we're just... Um, well, it's me, so I'm just goofing off on Twitter. <laughs> Basically, your personal Twitter account. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, uh, since we're doing plugs, at Lucifer Writers. Uh, some of you may already follow us. Uh, Twitter is our big one. We do have a Facebook page, but Twitter, I feel, is where we get to engage with fans the most. Um, we actually have made a really good relationship with what we call our Lucifans. <laughs> um, hashtag Lucifans. Um, we have a competition running right now at Lucifer Contest where you can win uh, some Lucifer swag. Um, <laughs> I, we do like to field questions on Twitter and that sort of thing. So sometimes we do like ask me anything and let the fans send in questions that our writers respond to. But I, I mainly do most of the tweets for them on that. Also. We don't answer any questions. We don't answer any questions at all. Like people ask Facebook us things account. about our show and we just don't is that, respond. Is that, like a, is that a policy with your writer's room or is that like I think it's something... just sort of like a better safe than sorry kind yeah. of a policy. I mean, we look at fan art and we will like retweet and reblog that. So if you have any Badlands or Shinar fan art, please, please make some. Um, I spent my entire morning trying to find it on the floor and there's none. So I'm really sad. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, we were created by a writing team, uh, Derek Hass and Michael Brandt, and Derek is our main Twitter force to be reckoned with. Uh, he live tweets every episode. He does all kinds of contests. He does, I'm just going to ask the first seven questions I get. He's very active. Um, so that's our, our main kind of contact with the world. I do have a small select group of fans who have found me on Twitter and tweet me all the time and tell me I'm responsible for their therapy bills or their wine budget <laughs> when, I, when I stress them out. Um, and, uh, and every once in a while I get a letter like in my random Facebook messages folder or like somebody finds my agent and sends me something and it's just like, I really like the show. And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> Well, that's what happens when you write on a sexy Chicago show, right? <laughs> sexy firefighters. Sexy firefighters. <laughs> uh, we don't have an official policy, but we, they, they, we sort of realize that it's better not to engage with, uh, because it, we do get a lot of, um, depending on what, who we've killed off or, or who we've made uh, look like a bad person, 
Um, we sometimes get very nasty tweets <laughs> at some of the writers. Uh, Mark Guggenheim, who is our, our uh, showrunner, um, is sort of the brunt of a lot of the, <laughs> a lot of the, the ire. So um, we we're but we do have a pretty active uh, writers room Twitter feed who do they do answer and field um, the nice questions. And, <laughs> <laughs> and do you guys have any notable positive or negative reactions from fans that particularly? either surprised the room or were in discussion within the room, for those of you actually in contact with fans? I think I was just surprised that people were like, oh yeah, I'll follow this account for this show that isn't out. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm surprised we have more than five, but we've got like six, 600 now. Um, someone immediately offered to make us a custom little icon. That was cool. Oh, wow. Nice. Um, wow. So I've, I've been having a lot of fun just seeing all the fan art people are making because people are such big fans of the tech, like the other iterations of it. Um, so it's been great for me because I, I get to just goof off with them and I don't have to worry about killing characters or <laughs> anything, really. Um, they have no expectations. That's great. <laughs> uh, our show, uh, before, before I worked on our show, I didn't know that straight drama shows had fandoms like genre shows because I had been a fan myself long before I was TV writer. And um, I didn't know that there were people who would follow our show who would have their entire profiles about our show. It's just pictures of people from our show. And I think that's super cool. But um, uh, other sh uh, places, I, I have panels I've seen, they've said sometimes the fans are such fervent chroniclers of the show that when you need to know a question about the show's history, you go to one of the, the fan wikis and you look it up. And I have done that too. And I have been in the writer's room when people have said something, well, that's from season one, and nobody's going to remember that. And I'll say, they absolutely do remember it. <laughs> they, remember they were it. tweeting me about what happened to so-and-so's father last week, who we didn't hear from since season one, so they know. And so, you know, I think that's, that's something that we learn is how involved the fans are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we literally, we had the Lucifer panel today at uh, 1230, and then we had our signing directly after, and I actually found out that we ran out of posters because a fan tweeted me, you ran out of posters. <laughs> so I went to PR and I was like, by the way, we ran out of posters. And she's like, oh, okay. So, but I found out through the fans tweeting at us. <laughs> uh, so has fan interaction or reaction to things that have happened ever changed the direction that you've taken in the room with story or characters? And uh, have you ever done anything specifically as a fan service? No. <laughs> I think it's Our because we... You know, actually, a lot of, you know, the, what we've realized, and I, we think we've always known this, is that the audience is much smarter than, than I think the producers or networks or studios realize. And, I mean, I don't know if you saw first season of Legends, but it, it wasn't, it was okay, let's say. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's much better second season, and a lot of the changes we, we made were actually stuff that fans were, you know, complaining about, but it was also sort of the things we were complaining about as writers. And so I think as far as, you know, sort of fan service goes, I mean, we were all, we were in line with them. So yeah. um, I think a lot of ways, the, you know, the fans are, are, are you know, much more attuned into to what, what, you know, what's good and what's bad <laughs> for your show. This is sort of a generic response to this question, yeah. but touching on what Ray said, um, the writers of the show are fans of the show, like 99 times out of 100, and they should be, and they are. So typically the things that fans are annoyed about or that the fans love are things that the writers are annoyed about or that the writers love. Um, and it's, you know, 
TV is not created in a vacuum. There are certain factors sort of out of control. Um, there are a lot of different people's opinions that go into forming the thing that you see on your TV screen, but it's not like, you know, shouting, we love this couple. It's like, no, we, we do too. <laughs> don't, don't worry about it. Um, or, you know, worry about it, but it's not like we hate them, so they must never love each other again. Yeah. I don't think anyone's a bigger fan of The Tick than Ben Edlund. Um, right. He knows stuff about that show and that world and those characters that, like, we're constantly learning. Um, but I know, like, everyone's sort of really conscious that this is has been an existing property. Like, it has had so many fans of so many different versions of it. And um, just being aware of that for all those episodes you can't see yet. Well, I was going to ask, for you guys who are kind of in a vacuum almost uh, currently, is there any way to sort of get a feedback before the show even premieres? Do you look back at what the feedback was with the original shows? Like, how does that work? Um, there isn't feedback. Um, I don't, like, it's, we have the pilot. So Amazon does this thing where they just have the, the pilot of the episode, or of the show up, and then, um, like, year later or whatever, they create the show, they write the show, um, do production, and then everyone gets to see the show streaming. Um, so you can sort of see people's, like, first reactions, but then again, like, a pilot's also never the best idea of what a show is. Um, I can say thus far it's been overwhelmingly positive, which I think, you know, gives the writers a lot of, like, freedom and faith and sort of this good vacuum to create the show. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's it's not so different than uh, having a new show premiere. It's you just know that it's beloved and that so if you mess it up, you're going to be in huge trouble. <laughs> but other than that, it's totally great. Well, what do you guys feel is kind of the perfect balance between feedback from, let's say, the network, the studios, uh, your showrunner, and, and the fandom itself? Do you think, should fans' opinions be taken into account uh, in the narrative itself? Anyone else? <laughs> But um, I'd say, like, uh, not speaking as someone from the show, but speaking as someone who is a fan of a lot of the shows on this table, um, I think it's just trust. Like, if, if the writers have rewarded my trust in them to a certain point, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow them on the journey. It's not really about whether, like, fandom's experience of a show is, is valid or whether it's taken into consideration. It's, it's kind of more about whether what we're doing is working and I think that like fandom is kind of frequently the canary in the coal mine that lets us know like this isn't working um, but again usually the people on the show are also shockingly aware of, of those things too um, but I think that when fan consideration or when fan opinion is taken into consideration um, it's just sort of like one other voice backing up Sort of established mm-hmm. thought about what's happening on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Um, first of all, there's a little bug, so if I yeah. start doing this, I haven't lost my mind. Yeah, I've been wanting to swat it for what I don't want to look like I'm hitting your head. So, so just setting that there. Um, what we have learned in the there's there's a there's a line to walk because your fans don't want to see bad things happen to the characters they love. And we're the ones who made you love them, so we understand that. <laughs> um, so, you know, you're setting roadblocks, and the fans feel like they're getting nothing but obstacles on the way to what they want. And sometimes that's valid. Sometimes you pull out these these struggles too long. But sometimes that's the nature of 
of storytelling is you have to make it hard for people to get there to earn what you what we want them to have what the fans want them to have um so uh, i was talking about this in relation to another show and i was saying you know you see especially when we talk about really big events that are very upsetting to fans um, you are looking at the event as this piece of storytelling you're getting, and we're looking at the rest of the season, what we're setting in motion for the rest of the season, and the story that we have to tell for all the characters on the canvas. Sometimes the thing that spins off a story we want to tell is a thing that's going to upset fans a lot. <laughs> um, on the other hand, sometimes, you know, it's like we're now finishing up our fifth season. Sometimes you try to step a little out of the box with a character and have them do something a little different because we've done all the things with these characters and sometimes that's great and sometimes it, it is interesting for a story and it spins off something good and sometimes the fan pushback is that's what tells you it's not working we didn't like it when that character decided that he was going to be a contractor at a strip club for a while and help out they, that's our boy scout we don't want him at the strip club get him out of there and you know so it's it, it, it can be a good barometer when you're kind of testing things tonally to branch characters out yeah I mean I think on what everyone else is saying is like you don't you kind of like don't want to give the audience exactly what they want because then they don't realize that's unfulfilling. You kind of want to give them something adjacent to that. You know, I think if you if you let the audience dictate too much, I think it may it may be an unfulfilling story. But I think you know, I think you how you know it is working. I think based on what Taylor was saying is like it's viewership. I mean, if the fans are into it, then you are doing something right. You know, and that's how you know whether <laughs> ever or not the fans agree with what you're doing or not. You know, yeah. what I mean, absolutely. Uh, so have any of you ever read fan fiction or slash fiction of your show? Uh, if so, can you tell us a little bit about what it was and how you reacted? Without, you know, keeping in mind the, uh, the under 18 thing. Under 18, yeah. <laughs> I haven't read fan fiction of either of my shows, but I am on Tumblr.com. I've been on Tumblr since 2009, so I know what I'm doing. Um, and there's a lot of really cool fan art. Um, there's a pretty popular pairing on Shannara and it's Amber Lee and Eritrea, and there's a lot of really cool fan art. I haven't read any fan fiction. I know that it exists. Um, I would, it almost feels like I read fan fiction. I write fan fiction. Um, <laughs> but I don't read it for the shows that I work on because it kind of feels like the show is fan fiction. Like, <laughs> what's the point? <laughs> um, yeah, because of the age restriction, I cannot discuss <laughs> fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've, I've read Amberly Eritrea fan fiction. Oh, it cool. does exist. How was it? <laughs> it was pretty good. It was so cute. It was, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I haven't, I haven't read the Tick fan fiction. <laughs> I, too, am on Tumblr.com and have read many a fan fiction for your show. <laughs> I mean, I used to work on a show called uh, Person of Interest, and um, the Tumblr fans were huge. I mean, we had so much artwork. We had, so, I mean, it was weird because for a lot of us, we were like, it's, you know, it's a, it's a cop show with a little bit of a sci-fi mythology twist, but it, it, it instigated all this amazing, amazing, beautiful um, artwork that we had up in the office. We would actually put it up everywhere. So, yeah, I think... Depending on the room, I mean, we, you know, on Person of Interest, we loved it. I mean, we had that stuff up everywhere. Yeah. I've also read that fan fiction. <laughs> yeah, and you can't right, really yeah. discuss that fan fiction here either. <laughs> um, I, I know there is fan fiction for our show and for the other shows in our universe because I've 
had it come up in a Google search when I was looking for some wiki of our show to find somebody, somebody documenting some random thing from season two so I could remember what happened to somebody's dog or something. Um, but when I see it, I'm like, I, I, don't even, I don't even want to open that Pandora. I'm like, abort, abort, just get out, just don't start. It could be great or it could be terrible, and either way, it's a bad thing for me to read it, so I just get out. Does your genre prefer writers with prior knowledge of the IP, or does the genre prefer... Uh, more agnostic writers who are not necessarily as familiar with the property itself. Our um, Shannara Chronicles is based on a series of novels, and on that show, definitely there's a, a preference, or at least it does not hurt at all for the people staffing on our show to have a familiarity with those books, because Terry Brooks, the author of the book series, is, you know, he consults on our show, and it helps <laughs> when the other people in the room, Alan Miles, our showrunners, both are familiar with the books, um, and other writers are too. Um, so that doesn't hurt. Whereas Into the Badlands is an original show, and you know, it, it, again, it helps when you walk into the room already a fan of the show, but it's not necessarily, you don't need to be a thousand percent fluent in the universe, you just need to be a good writer. Well, you know, in, in, in our room, um, you know, we, they, don't really net, they don't really want us or need us to be genre people or no comic books. Um, we have showrunners and producers who are, like we have Mark Guggenheim who is, you know, I don't think anyone can out, outwit him with as far as DC knowledge goes. So, I mean, we have him as a resource, so I think he really asks us to dig into the characters and the emotions um, of the characters, and that's what they're, they're really looking for, like character people when they look for writers. Um, and then, of course, DC gives us volumes and volumes of free, like, stuff to read, like books and encyclopedias <laughs> and stuff like that. Now, literally, you have to, like, climb over books to get to... There's a lot of very jealous people out there, I know. <laughs> um, I know for The Tick, like, we, we had, like, the DVDs of the cartoon in our office and uh, the comic books, and just because it's such a specific tone of that show and that world and that universe. And then you talk to Ben Edlin for, like, five minutes, and you're like, oh... Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, th I think like um, it was important to know the the essence of what that character is because it is so iconic in a way. Uh, so for each of you, what has been your own personal biggest fangirl or fanboy moment, whether on your show or otherwise? <laughs> um, so I mentioned I was in the Gilmore Girls fandom. I went to ATX two years ago for the Gilmore Girls reunion, and I enjoyed ATX a lot and recommend it to everyone here. Although, actually don't go, because I wanted to stay my thing. Um, <laughs> take it back. Um, but I, I, Hep Alien, who's the band on the show, played a show at like a Friday Night Lights tailgate, and I knew about it ahead of time. So I got very, like the front most row seats for that and um and then amy sherman paladino and Sutton foster just like walk in and casually sit at my feet and that was that was a lot for me <laughs> that was so much um i think for me uh meeting rachel harris um i i've loved her for a very long time uh and to be on a show where she plays dr linda she is such a lovely human um, and I think that it's, it's nice to be able to see people that you've watched for years. I mean, I remember the episode that she was on of Friends, where she's pregnant in the hospital next to Rachel, like in the same room. Um, and it, 
you know, to meet her in person and to see that this person that like you've followed for so long is an awesome human being and like they really love their work and they, they're good at it. Um, it really brought everything I think full circle for me um, and that's kind of the cool thing is to, to go from sitting on one side to the other and to get to see both sides of it. Which the question was is the fan a fan moment I had with being on it. Where what do you mean? Was it, what is it? either on your show or just in your personal kind of life? Uh, okay, well, there's two things. I mean, there's one. one um, I was as far as fans reacting to me. I was on a show uh, as a script coordinator for a long time. A show called Psych, and <laughs> yeah, and you know the fans for that were, were we called them psychos, and they were. Uh, completely fanatic and I think one of my first or my earlier Comic Cons um, we, uh, we the show was at in San Diego and the fans were like sending us messages you know I was a script coordinator and they were like we want to meet you we want to meet you we, we like we know what you look like we'll just track you down <laughs> and I was like how do they know what I look like I'm a script coordinator I'm not a, you know I'm not a talent I'm not <laughs> So literally, I would, I, you know, when I was, I was dumb and innocent enough, I was like, well, here's my cell number. Just text me. When you say that. So why uh, would you do that? I don't know. I was just, I was like, oh, I'm kind of famous. I'm a script coordinator. Um, Ray's going to provide his cell number for everyone later. <laughs> I don't have a cell phone. You noticed that none of the women gave out their number, right? <laughs> but it was, it was actually, it was really sweet. We like met up in like aisle 1800 or whatever. And there was a bunch of them and we like took pictures and it was like, I mean, it was a really cool moment and they were just so appreciative and I was just a little freaked out. They knew what I looked like, but, um, but they were totally fine. It was really nice. Okay. On the other side, like being a fan of something you know, on person of interest, um, 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 Michael Emerson was on that show. And he played Ben Linus, and it was the biggest Lost fan. So <laughs> meeting him was, was I, I mean, my first day on set, I think I, I couldn't even speak to him. You know? <laughs> He'd come up and ask me a question. He's like, how am I supposed to say this line? And I'm like, I, I, mm? <laughs> um, as, a, as an aspiring writer, um, I was a huge, fervent, desperate, nerdy fan of Aaron Sorkin. Um, I have more complex feelings about him now, but um, <laughs> he's still a fantastically talented yes. writer. Um, but like Sports Night and West Wing were like, I, that was just like, if I could ever write anything so wonderful. <laughs> and so when he was uh, writing Social Network, he decided to have a Facebook page to learn about Facebook. And he started a message board that was just questions for me. And he started interacting with all these fans and he was talking to us like every day. Um, and, and you know, and we got to know him. And he actually gave me and a couple of friends who were visiting from out of town a tour, a personal tour of the Warner Brothers Studios lot. Wow. Bullshit. And I was like, and, and like we all, and we all stopped for to get coffee at the commissary. And I heard somebody like, that's Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> so that was fantastic. Um, was he walking and talking really fast as he took you around with him? We did. It was a lot of walking and talking. Um, and the other thing that happened was um, I, an episode of Chicago Fire, I wrote, uh, I, I never have anything to do with casting, but they, um, they cast Holly Robinson Pete in a guest role. And, um, you know, I am I'm an Evanera when 21 Jump Street was airing. I was like, <laughs> 
And so she was wonderful, and I was pr- able to be perfectly normal with her. But the director, Sandy Bookstaver, who's about my age as well, there was just one point where he just turns, like we're in Video Village, and, and she's out of earshot, and he's like, can you, I just, I can't even keep it together. I just want to talk to her about your money when drops me so much. And I was like, I know. <laughs> then we just got it. I'm like, I'm like, I know. I still know all the words to the theme song. <laughs> but then she came back, and we were fine. <laughs> so Ten, you brought up uh, this idea of transitioning from being a fan to kind of being behind the scenes um, of the show. As a fan, we all have strong feelings about a story or a character going a certain direction. And when you go on a show, you realize that maybe the writers were forced to deal with maybe an actor or an actress who was a huge piece of work, or uh, the budget was you know, this way or that way, or maybe the network and production wanted something completely different. So what do you feel maybe fans misinterpret? And for you personally, what do you feel are some of your biggest kind of expectations versus reality moments when you entered the business? I think that there's like this misconception, and we get this a lot on Twitter, where people just tweet and they're like, I wrote a spec. I'd love for you guys to read it. And <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm the writer's assistant, and I can't get them to read my spec. (laughs) Maybe get in line. Um, No, I mean, I think for me, I I went to film school. I knew that I eventually wanted to write in television, and it was a process. I was in reality and then navigated to the studio, and then from there I worked on the Lucifer pilot and somehow made it into the room with the showrunner and asked for an interview, and he was like, sure. And then I was PA, and then I moved up to writer's assistant. Like, it takes a lot of work to get there. So I I didn't just wake up one day and think, like, oh, Lucifer. Like, that looks really fun. I want to be on that. (laughs) And, you know, you kind of, you take what you can to navigate to the things that you want to do. So I'd say for people who are actually interested in, you know, kind of doing what we do, um, know that you're going to do a lot of jobs uh, as probably PAs that aren't glamorous and it takes a long road of not glamorous to get to the point <laughs> where someone might know what you look like. Uh, I've yet to ha- have that happen. It's very weird. Except for these guys. <laughs> we, uh, we recognized each other in, in a restaurant in Burbank. <laughs> We're in the same feminist group, and she was like, I think I saw you. You have nice pants. <laughs> they were great jeans. I I. And then I knew I liked her. So. <laughs> um, I think the weirdest thing has been actually interacting with fans, actually, like, being on this panel. <laughs> um, because you, at our level, like, at the assistant level, you are a fan. The majority of time spent at cons is me geeking out yeah. over other people. Um, or, like, looking at fan art for other properties or talking to writers who are on shows I love or shows that I read fan fiction for. <laughs> um, and so you're you're put in this weird position where it's usually support staff running the social media accounts and you're supposed to be an authority (laughs) to other fans and you're just like, I'm one of you. (laughs) Like, I know nothing more. But um, yeah, so that's been really different because I'm on the fan side more often than not because I'm more used to being on that side and I want to give spoilers and like tell them (laughs) details, but I can't and it's uh, weird. I just want to add to that. Rachel Harris hugged me today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
yeah, it is a, a weird mental transition. And I was somebody who I didn't go the assistant route. I got I got repped uh, a month before the last rider strike. <laughs> and then uh, halfway through that rider strike, my new agent left the agenting business. Um, and then I just had my manager. And But I was just, and then it took a little while for the industry to rebuild. So I was just going on jobs, ladies for jobs for that many years. So the time that other people spent doing their, putting their assistant years, I spent almost getting every job that I went for. <laughs> it was also a good time. <laughs> but um, then overnight, I was a staff writer on a show, and the fans on Twitter, they find you if it's in your bio. Like, e- even if you don't tweet about the show or live, they find you. And all of a sudden, it's like, I'm, I'm like a famous person they know, because I replied to their tweet. And so now, and, like that, and I'm like, that's... That's not what, no, I'm just me. Um, and it's, so it's very strange because suddenly you are just so very far on the other side of, of a, like a line that's a really big deal to a lot of people. And again, for a lot of shows, I'm still a ginormous fangirl and, or, and <coughs> comics and things like that. When comics writers follow me back on Twitter, I lose my mind. Um, I'm collected. I'm like, did you see Jay Michael Straczynski followed me on Twitter? Look, I'm gonna, I want to put him next to Carp Busiek and Sterling Gates and Gail Gale, Gale Simone. <laughs> like, I have, the, the, like, in my mind, their collection. Um, uh, in terms of how fans perceive about how a show is written, um, one of the things that I think a lot of fans don't necessarily know is that um, how much of the, the story arc is set and how much of which episode you write is kind of a little bit of a lottery or the order usually every year we kind of set the order and that goes around a few times every season because we do 22 23 episode seasons um and sometimes they'll say you know we're going to flip it because we we know you have done such a great job with bottle episodes and jill does a wonderful job of making people cry really hard so that's what we're (laughs) going to do um but like i wrote an episode last season where a character lost her baby and it wasn't, I wasn't like let's kill her baby that, <laughs> that baby was never going to make it but I was, I was very afraid that to a lot of fans I was going to be the person who killed her baby we know um, you wanted to kill that baby Jill, <laughs> Jill the baby killer yes <laughs> hashtag I'm not baby killer um, but, and, and fortunately the friends were the fans were quite good. I mean, they were upset about the turn of events because because it was our female lead. It was our most popular couple. It was our you know, OTP couple. Um, and, and you know, and for a lot of first of all, there's a lot of people who have actually had miscarriages or non-viable pregnancies. So like something like that can be hurt. You use it as a story point, and that's their life that you just put up on the screen. But also for a lot of people as fans that's the end goal for their couple. You know, that's marriage and a baby for the couple they want. That locks it in. That means we're not going to mess with them anymore. Oh, so am I. But, you, but you know, and so it's like snatching that away from them. It's like they got their, their promise of their happy ending on the horizon and you pulled it away. So, you know, that's, that's really hard. Um, but like I said, but a lot of times fans don't seem to know that it, it wasn't your individual idea to say, I would like to, I think we should kill that baby and I would like to be the one to write it. <laughs> You're like, no, no, sorry, no. The, the baby had to die. She's a firefighter. <laughs> um, but uh, and the, <laughs> she wasn't, you know, it was, she was going to file paperwork for nine months or the, the baby wasn't going to make it. And that was just where we were in a story point in the series at that time. Um, the other thing is um, sometimes you do things for storytelling efficiency that are not representative of reality. Uh, 
we probably have more problems with people pushing back on our depiction of reality than some of these other shows. You maybe get more of a buy-in. So we had a character who um, the actress was leading the show, and so we wrote a very unfortunate downward alcoholic spiral for her. And um, there was a lot of pushback because on the show she got fired for being drunk on the job. She was a paramedic, and you shouldn't do that. I think that's that's. I don't think that's a really <laughs> bold stance to take to not be a drunk paramedic um, but people were very some people were really upset because they said you know you couldn't fire her union wise they, they like they couldn't fire union wise she would have to be suspended for up to a year while she completed treatment and I guess the writers just didn't do their research and like no we we did that research but we weren't going to keep an actress on the show for a year in residential rehab while everybody else was saving fires <laughs> and they're running in and out of fires and then we cut to her making paper flowers in art therapy <laughs> because that's not our show you know but yeah so that's you know sometimes we just make decisions for reasons and we'll take shortcuts that people are like that makes no sense and we're like oh well, you know it, 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 it's sense adjacent it's the best sense we could make <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think what fans don't realize is that these stories go through a lot of hands. I mean, that there aren't any, very few decisions made on the whim. I mean, maybe on set you have a, a line of dialogue that's improv, but that story beat has been approved by the studio, by the network, by um, clearances, by lawyers, by the showrunners, by the other writers in the room. So it's, it's been through hands. So yeah, there has been thought put into it um, as far as that goes, yeah. So uh, one of the key things for fans is seeing themselves represented in the work. So how does your show attempt to be inclusive of diversity and representation both on screen and in the room? Um, so I don't know if you guys watched Iron Fist. That came out. <laughs> I work on a show called Into the Badlands. It's also on Netflix. Yeah. Um, that's all. <laughs> My drop. Um, I, I will speak on this one because uh, I would like to give a shout out to our show, which has an equal amount of male and female writers in our room. We are, uh, yeah. we have um, two showrunners, one male, one female, um, a very diverse uh, group of people who actually write the show. Um, and it's interesting, uh, and kind of speaking to what you know you were just talking about, it's interesting what people get upset about and what they don't, what they believe is realistic and what isn't. Um, we had a little bit of pushback in one of our earlier episodes when you see Lucifer uh, in what is called an Eiffel Tower. Um, <laughs> Please be aware thing? that many members of your audience yeah. may be under Again, 18 years of age. you put the 18-year-old restriction there. I, I actually don't know what that is. I'm so going to go on Urban Dictionary. <laughs> we'll talk later. Um, but I'm going to put a diagram Can we find it on, on Tumblr? They, they also they show oh. Lucifer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Fan fiction did not prepare me for that. <laughs> in, a, in an earlier episode, they show Lucifer in bed with both a man and a woman. And our show clearly is, uh, it's a crime-solving devil in Los Angeles. <laughs> if you can get past that, like, how can you not wrap your mind around the fact that he may be into both genders or all genders? I mean, and we, we did. We had a little bit of pushback from people who were uncomfortable with the idea that the devil might... <laughs> <laughs> I know. 
And it's, but it's like oh you do God. realize what you're watching, right? The devil yeah. solving crime in Los Angeles as a consultant. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, so yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting thing. Uh, getting back to representation, though, you know, we didn't steer away from that. We totally embraced it, and they've done an excellent job of doing so because rep representation does matter. And that's, you know, whether you're discussing... Yeah. That's whether you're discussing gender or sexuality or even religion at this point. I mean, we also try and do a really great job of not disrespecting religions that the devil may be mentioned in. Um, that's, that's equally as important to us. So I think that it's important for you to be able to look on screen and find someone out there who reminds you of yourself. And I feel my team really does work really hard to make sure that we do that. I think uh, including representation and diversity is doing your job well. I mean, we don't, we don't create, we don't, like, television is not a vacuum. We're not sitting in a room creating the next great American novel. We're, we're making TV to, for people to watch, to connect with them, to speak about the human experience. And if there are huge groups of people who feel like they're not being spoken to, are we doing our job? That's, that's the way I see it. Um, in terms of diversity in the room, uh, so I've been there three years. The last two years, we've had more women on staff than men. We've outnumbered them. We had two all-female writing teams that came in after my first year, and the, and two of the and the uh, staff writers who came in were two Asian women. So that also is far less white than we had been, which was nice. <laughs> um, uh, also, behind the scenes, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, and I was saying. I was just t tallying it up, and I've now written eight episodes of the show, and only three have been directed by white men. And, wow. and two of those were the same white guy. So it's really <laughs> <laughs> so um, so it's, you know we've had a couple of women again, uh, one Asian woman, and and also uh, a, a very frequent director of ours is a, a guy who's Persian, and um, he started as a DP on our show and just worked up, and now he directs like four or five episodes a year. Um, uh, on screen, I'm very proud that we are racially diverse. Um, uh, it is probably known to most people who watch our show or to people who track the uh, barrier gaze trope that at the end of season two, our, one of our lead female characters who was a lesbian was killed. Um, that was before I came on the show. I actually, my first meeting for the show, uh, they said, so we gotta talk about what happens after Shay dies. And I'm like, Shay's dying, what? <laughs> um, uh, so I would like to see us have one or more new LGBT characters on the show. Um, uh, on the other hand, if that character hadn't been killed, Lauren Sherman wouldn't be on Lucifer. Because <laughs> it's the same actress. You can't have her. <laughs> so um, she, she, she did come back in a dream sequence when Severide got blown up. <laughs> Um, and he, he almost died, and then, then he was fine the next episode. Was she solving crimes with the devil? She was not. <laughs> and so, yeah, no, she was just looking beautiful, and there was As light. She does. Yeah, <laughs> that's not really, that's a default. She's a beautiful person. Um, but yes, so, um, so I'm proud of what we're doing on some levels and feel like we could do better on other levels. Yeah, I, mean, I think we, uh, as a writer's room, I think it's pretty diverse. Um, I'm pretty lucky to be in a room. It's, it, it's um, at a certain moment in time, actually, it was more, there were more women than men in our room. And um, there's, uh, you know, I'm 
full Asian, I guess, and there's two half, <laughs> two half Asians, so that there's actually two Asians in the room now. Um, I feel like that's a spin-off series. <laughs> Um, and of course, the one question I get a lot from uh, my Asian friends is like, well, Ray, you're the Asian writer on staff. When are we going to see an Asian superhero on DC's Legends? And I, all I can say is that I'm trying, really trying. <laughs> if anyone is reading, uh, uh, in fact, I, you know, I was trying to pitch to Mark the other day. I mean, if anyone's reading through the sort of new line at DC, um, there is an Adam um, who is Asian. Uh, I think it's Ryan Choi, I think is his name. And he is like Dr. Palmer's assistant in this new line. And Palmer has gone missing. And so he's taken on the mantle and is like, using his equipment. And I'm like, that's a great way in. What if Brandon Routh goes missing? <laughs> uh, Mark kind of just kept walking down the hallway. <laughs> I am trying, I'm trying. Um, I, we were actually like, I, I'm sure all of us all, all our shows were in the room when the election happened. <laughs> um, and it was really great to be, be on a show where we came in the next day and, and Ben and David, who are sort of um, l- leading us, they just gathered everyone and sort, sort of were like, that happened. <laughs> um, but television and what we do here is important. And it's especially important now. And I think that's sort of a responsibility where like every show on TV and, and I think specifically genre shows that, um, that deal with these sort of heavy themes in a fun, enjoyable way, um, has to, we have to take that responsibility a lot more seriously, I, I hope. And speaking of, just to jump back on those kind of controversial story elements that we've seen over the years uh, up until pretty recently, how much do you feel fans have or should have ownership over that material, especially considering representation and all these elements? How much should that play an impact and how much do you feel is tied to that? I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm more on the fan side. Um, I think that while we don't have diversity in rooms, a lot of times fans are more authorities on a certain experience than the people in the room. Once we start getting more diversity into the rooms, then those experiences are going to be portrayed in Mm -hmm. respectful ways with the knowledge behind them of what the actuality of that is. Um, so, So... to that end, I think that's why it's so important to have diversity in rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but again, while that's not happening, like you said, the fandom is the canary in the coal mine, and they're going to have a lot of ownership over that, as they should. All right. Uh, I guess now we will open it up to questions from the audience. So just pop your hands up, and we'll shout yeah. them out. Uh, we, we might repeat the questions as well, just so that it gets all on the recording. So Just yell. Um, just yeah. <laughs> just scream it at us. Yeah, scream it. All at once. Go for it. My question, I guess, is oftentimes blame gets misattributed on the fan side, and I know that this was kind of touched on in the panel a little bit, but my question is how much of what you're doing is like network policy or handed down from lawyers versus how much autonomy um, happens happens in the room? So when blame gets attributed, um, how much are you guys allowed to actually speak to whose decision that was. Uh, <laughs> I, well, <laughs> That's I'm pretty sure we're going to get that on the recording, so go for it. I can kind of speak a little bit to that, and without spoiling anything, I'm going to like 
talk slowly to stop myself. Um, but there was something that we wanted to do this season on Shannara Chronicles, and it it ended up being um, a conversation between our showrunners and Terry Brooks, who's the author of the original book series. And that's less like coming from lawyers or coming from policy, but that's a situation where um, the, it became a discussion between the author and the showrunners. And I think that that happens, I think, a little bit more when th things are based on existing IP. Um, but for the most part, I would say what we do comes from our showrunners. Um, and that's just, you know, the networks that we work on believe in the shows um, and don't note them as, I don't know. But again, like, I'm not, I'm the showrunner's assistant. I, have, I don't control anything, so. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I feel like any show I've been on, I, I don't think, uh, I, I feel like the showrunners have always owned up to what the ultimate decision was made on the show. I don't, they've never, um, I, usually studios and networks are, are, are worried, more worried about being sued about, like, you know, having McDonald's in the back of the scene as opposed to anything story-wise. So I, as far as I'm concerned, the, all the shows I've been on, it's, it's always been the showrunner's decision to, to have something play. Yeah, the only thing that, I mean, even if something's coming at you, you're not going to dump it on somebody else. So um, that's, I mean, I've been very fortunate in all that respect. But um, the, what I can think of is um, why actors leave shows can sometimes be very complex. And often, even if it's not a bad reason, it's not that they're, they're it's not like that person was such a handful or something, but people, people want to leave a show or they don't want to leave it, you know, and it's like a schedule thing. And for whatever reason, there's just a lot of politics involved in whether or not you tell the true story of what they why they left, even if the reason why they left is a perfectly innocent reason. Mm -hmm. But if that's, that's how your show is handling it, then yeah. that's the party line you follow. And so people will make a lot of assumptions about why a decision was made for somebody to leave the show or why something happens to a character. And you're like, well, that's not why. And the reason, actual reason isn't even bad, but I still can't tell you. Mm -hmm. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this season uh, we have an interesting schedule because we, we initially thought that we were gonna have 18 episodes and then we were given 22, which is amazing. Um, but the writers had actually kind of prepped for an 18-episode arc. And when fans found out that we were planning to move the four later episodes into season three, it, that was something that the writers were actually happy about because it meant that we still got to tell the story that we wanted to in the 18 episodes. Um, and there was speculation that maybe it meant that like Lucifer wasn't coming back. They were going to can it. And there was like a lot of outrage from the fans. <laughs> And we were like, no, like, all is well. I mean, <laughs> you just get like 26 episodes next season. Um, so, I mean, it, it is. It's kind of difficult where, like, people are blaming the, the network or they're blaming the writers. And I think the most important thing to take away is, like, we do this for you. And you are the reason that we have a job. So we already kind of have this relationship. We love you guys. We hope that you love the work that we're doing. Just lean into it a little bit and trust us and trust that we will take care of these characters that you've all grown to love. Um, and if maybe something happens that you don't quite understand, it's possible some of us don't understand either. <laughs> but we're all still on the same team. Um, and, and I think that that's the most important mm -hmm. takeaway is, like, we're in the fandom together. The yeah. writers are in this with you. Mm -hmm. awesome. yeah, that's the thing that I think, I, I, I feel like I can speak for every writer on every TV show in this one instance, which is 
very, very rare, and that is nobody ever goes to work wanting to do a bad job. <laughs> Whatever the show is, and people are on shows that they are not necessarily as passionate about as some people are. Everybody wants to write good television. Nobody gets into television to make bad television. <laughs> and no, there's no show where anybody is not grateful for their fans. Because mm -hmm. if people don't watch the show, we don't have jobs. Right. Mm -hmm. so, so never, ever, ever assume 100%. either that nobody cared or they weren't trying when they wrote it, or that they don't care what the fans feel. Yeah. Because those two things, I truly believe, are literally never true. So. We spend way too much time on Twitter to not care how people <laughs> <laughs> Another question? One for him. Um, an interesting story that some of the shows that I've been fans for, um, where the showrunners talk about, you know, playing with fan expectations, just saying, like, okay, the fans think we're going to give them this, but we're going to do this. But and I guess my question is, to what end does that help or hurt you? Because, you know, if you'd like, earned particular character chemistry, maybe putting that couple together is worth it rather than just doing something to shock the audience. So I guess as, as writers and writers assistants, how do you guys balance, you know, we want to be, you know, surprising, but also like we don't want to ruin something that we've earned as chemistry-wise. For the recording, the question was, how much do you play to fan expectations versus uh, your own kind of input on that? Like he said it better than I did, but I'm just repeating it for the recording. <laughs> Just one thing to take into account. Uh, I think the fans' expectations, I think we're constantly thinking the same things in the back of our minds, but we want to give you more than one or two seasons. And to make a show last for, you know, seven, eight, nine seasons, there are some things that maybe you can't do initially or you lose the motivation for the rest of your show. So that's one thing to take into account, I think. Um, does anybody else want to? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think we had touched on it before and in, in it, it, where it's, it's, you know, you have to extend the story. So, I mean, if you can imagine like, I mean, any X-Files fans in here, if like Mulder and Scully had kissed like on the end of the first season or something, it's like, you know, you're just like, now, you know, I mean, I know that wasn't the point of the show, but I mean, that, that was a definitely in the dynamic people were invested in. And I think you want to give them a version of it, but not give them that exact version, because you want to extend more than a couple seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on, on our show, I would say in terms of shock or the unexpected, that's not something necessarily that we work towards with long arcs, but when we're talking about an episode or two episode arc, um, one thing that my bosses are very conscious of is we don't want you to feel like you know what's going to happen because that's boring television. That's why we're not trying to mess with you. It's just that if you sit there and you already, it's like you if you watch an episode of a you know a murder solving show and you already know who did it at the beginning and then like every ten minutes you're like yep 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 as everything validates you. That's not a good experience. So that's the only way in which we really try to make a point of just trying to do a little misdirection just because we want it to be interesting and we don't want you to just feel like it's predictable. All right, next question. Yes. What are your favorite types of characters to write? Question is, what are your favorite types of characters to write? Butt-kicking ladies. Yeah. <laughs> just like, of color. I was literally about to say, like, young, southern, lesbian. <laughs> Not lived experience or anything. Everything I write is fan service for myself. <laughs> like, mean women. Not necessarily, like, ass-kicking, but, like, verbally ass-kicking. Just, like, just downright terrible 
women. <laughs> you know, I actually, I'm also really interested in like Grace and Frankie this year. And like, mm-hmm. I think that there's a market, especially for, you know, some older women to get back in the game. Yeah. And like, it's something really <laughs> um, Yeah, and sorry, to that effect, I, I would specifically like to see them in uh, genre and high fantasy shows. <laughs> Very specifically. Very specifically. <laughs> Game of Thrones. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I think Hi. villains are a lot of fun to write. I mean, nothing is better than a good bad guy speech, honestly. <laughs> you know, and I, this season I have, we've had three great villains on our show, and they all can, like, pontificate like nobody's business. So <laughs> it's really great to put evil words into their mouths. Here's why I'm evil. <laughs> um, I, in terms of when I'm writing things like, like spec pilots, um, I kind of go the opposite route of people who like the, the trope of ordinary people in extraordinary situations. I like to write extraordinary people forced into ordinary situations because <laughs> I think most of us go through life feeling like we were plopped down in a play where other people had the script and we were not given it or like, like that's what I like felt like. I feel like I miss orientation a lot of the time. <laughs> and so, like, a lot of the stuff that is normal or expected, I'm like, but why, why is that? But so, yeah, so whether it be someone who is an actual alien or something otherworldly um, or just a person who, for some reason, didn't quite go with the flow, I like to watch people navigating all the little messy bits of life, and I think that's fun for people to watch, uh, too. Um, on our show, specifically... Um, kind of the reverse is true. We have uh, of our of our supporting characters are, are some of our older comic uh, firemen who often just are sort of comic commentary. Um, they're such fantastic actors that anytime I can give them a chance to have a little bit more to chew on, um, then I, I really like to write like little extra scenes or stories for them. Great. And one last quick question before we finish up. Uh, tough choice. Yeah. Uh, right at the back in the beginning. That's you. It's you, Heather. That's you, Heather Mays. What are you personally a really big fan of right now? Yeah. Besides your own show. <laughs> Harry Potter. Forever and ever and ever and ever. I went to Harry Potter World after my college graduation for 10 days. I spent it in Hogsmeade. (laughs) And there wasn't a Diagon Alley at that point. It was just Hogsmeade. (laughs) Slytherin. (laughs) I'm in Gryffindor. Um, We hate each other. Uh, my favorite. I'm. I love the magicians. I love the magicians. I love the magicians. I love the magicians. And I zombie. Um, I'm actually plowing through this series of mystery novels right now on my Kindle. I'm reading like one every two days. Um, there, it's a series called The Gaslight Mysteries, and it it's, uh, takes place in 1890s New York. So it's actual gaslight, not people online messing with women, um, just FYI. And um, it is about uh, a, midwi- a midwife and a, an Irish, co- a midwife who came from a very upscale, very wealthy family who decided to become a midwife and a very working class Irish cop solving crimes. I've read that. Um, it's, it's a great so, series. It's so much fun. I know, but except for it's not quite as escapist as you would like because <laughs> it's so, the social issues in it are so real. That like you're and you're like oh yeah no it is it is a terrible thing to be a woman in this time because you can marry well or be a maid or be a hooker and then you're done. 
So yeah, but it's fantastic. Grace and Frankie, Legion. Um, I'm also super disappointed about Good Girls Revolt because I really loved mm-hmm. that one. Um, I'm Ray. I'm a Hufflepuff. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm I'm way behind, but I'm super into Riverdale. <laughs> the pilot is one of the most beautiful hours of television I've ever seen. Lee Tony Krieger, or Krieger, or Krieger. I, I, I'm sorry, I don't remember. Um, it's just absolutely stunning. It's just the cinematography and the acting is beautiful. Um, and um, I tweeted about it so much when it aired. One of the producers came up to me on my show and said, do you want to work on Riverdale instead? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. If you haven't seen it, you should definitely check it out. All right, let's wrap things up. Where can people follow you online? And uh, Ray, can you also give us your uh, cell number, please? <laughs> Here, I have um, my it. cell number is 310555. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm at, at Ray Utar, R-A-Y-U-T-A-R. Um, I am uh, Jilly Bob WW. So it's like Billy Bob, but Jilly Bob WW on Twitter. At Tennessee Martin or at Lucifer Writers. <laughs> um, at the D-I-M-I-S-H-R-A. Um, or at the Tick Riders. <laughs> I like this. Um, I'm at T H, like th- <laughs> <laughs> And then Brogan, which is my last name, yes. which you can read here. Um, or at Badlands Writers, or at Shannara Writers. <laughs> and uh, you can find this podcast uh, on iTunes or any of the other services. It's called Paper Team. We have like 40 episodes out, so you can go back through them, and we release one every week. Hopefully, you'll tune in and listen. Uh, I'm on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. I'm at TV Calling. Thank you all so much for coming. And on that note, we would like to thank you, as always, for tuning in. You can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 38. You can leave us reviews at paperteam.co slash iTunes. New reviews help us get new listeners, which helps us in turn build this awesome community and get more episodes out for you guys. And as mentioned previously, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. Nick is at underscore NG Watson. If you have any thoughts, feedback, opinion about this panel or other episodes, you can send them to ask at paperteam.co. And next week, well, next week we're having another guest, Alison Taffel, who is a staff writer on this little show. You may not have heard of it. It's called um, BoJack Horseman. And she'll be joining us to talk about what it is like to write for adult animated comedy. We will see you then.